291-6901 and you put a 225 in front of that number you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental united states this morning that's right we'd love to hear from you sure would actually you know the area codes and the country codes you can reach us from anywhere in the world depending on what time you want to try to get up <laughs> i guess if you were in mexico you could just yeah you'd be in still and be in the same zone that's right cancun's in the same zone i know that for an absolute fact <laughs> been there a time or two there you go and your skills call, we're glad to try to help you out. And if you got a problem with your car, something you can't figure out, something giving you trouble, something you think might be giving you trouble. That's right. Right now is a perfect time to call. You get a live and personal answer. You wait till after the show goes off the air, then you're limited to email questions. Well, that's then. right. You can go to our website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the form and send it on in, and we'll get you an answer back pretty quick. Normally, if it's during the week, I'm pretty much sitting at the computer, and I'll try to check that four or five times a day. So normally within a few hours, you're going to get an answer back. Now, on the weekends, not quite as fast, but you'll still get an answer back. And after about 8.30, it's going to be the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way that works. There you go. Let's see if we can take a phone call here. All right. Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great. Good morning. I had a question. Okay, I got an Infinity 08 mm-hmm. that I'm buying. Okay. The transmission's out. I already called your guys. Okay. And they already gave it a price to fix it. Is that a good vehicle? Is it worth I'm getting it for a good price. Is it a good vehicle? Gene, it's not one of my favorite vehicles. I see a lot of problems with those. The transmission is one of those problems we see quite a bit. They go out at a fairly low mileage. It is a fairly loaded-up vehicle with a lot of accessories, a lot of gadgets, a lot of gizmos. And, again, just my opinion, I am not that satisfied with the Infinity product. I mean, I know that's probably not what you want to hear, but they are really problematic relative to, say, a Toyota or a Honda product which you can generally buy for around the same price. I just, folks who have them and like them, and I know a lot, a lot of them that we work on that people think they're spending way too much money. So if it were something I were just stealing it, you know, I were buying it maybe $4,000 under retail price, and after the transmission, I still had a really, really good uh, deal there. I, might, yeah, I wouldn't say absolutely don't buy it, but if you have other options, it's not my favorite vehicle. So if I can get it for around $8,000, it's an 09, fully loaded, full drive, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I don't know what it's actually valued at, but, I mean, you can go. Okay. But I want to make sure it's a good vehicle because I don't want to spend four or $5,000. That's right. That's right. And, and, then, and then have this, that, and the other. I mean, I can tell you, we see a lot of transmission issues with them. We see some suspension issues with them. The control arms and stuff, the bushings go out, those sorts of things. The shocks and struts on them seem to be a little weaker than some other cars. We get a lot of noises and stuff. We do a lot of that kind of work. Some air conditioning problems, some of the hoses and stuff go out on them. I mean, it's not a horrible car. I'm not trying to say that. It's just a more problematic car than a lot of the other Asian cars are. In the same price mark. In the same price point. Right. Yeah. Okay. So So if I get it first, you buy it cheap enough. Yeah. If you buy it cheap enough, you don't mind dumping some money in it. I would say I would get it inspected regardless if it hadn't been inspected already. Right. Just to make sure nothing's wrong with that particular car. Uh, well, you don't know what you're buying because you can't drive it. Yeah. You may end up getting it 
putting a transmission in it and then have a lot of other issues that weren't foreseen because it couldn't be driven. Well, the catalytic converters are pretty bad about going out on them, and that's another very expensive problem, and you're not going to know that until you get it running. That's my only issue with buying a car that you can't drive. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I drove it to the Infinity dealer, and then, of course, they told me how much it was, $6,900 from them for the transmission. Right. Uh crazy. And then I called Mm y'all, and then y'all gave me a a price. And and, and the deal is, you know, it has 60,000 miles on it. You know, I'm trying to get it for five thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, I spent another five thousand transmission. Right. You know, talking about ten grand for half, the vehicle. Half what it's worth. Yeah. If you end it half at half the price, right. And you understand, that, hey, I may have to drop another three or four thousand along the line, but I'm still going to be good. Right. I would say yeah. Okay. But you know, okay. I wouldn't buy it thinking, hey, I'm just going to put a trans in. That's going to be the end of it. I'm going to drive it for another hundred thousand miles, and not have any problems. That's exactly what I need today. Yeah. Exactly. All righty. Well, Hey, thank you all very much. Hey, man, thanks for calling. All right, sir. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive out, we'd certainly love to have you. We would. That's a lot of people are trying to do that these days because the price of a new car is so expensive. Yeah, they're actually actually ridiculous relative to the value. Sure, and a lot of people are trying to revive an older vehicle. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's already paid for or almost paid for, Mm -hmm. and it's got a few issues. It's worth keeping. Well, the best deal is your own car. If you've got a car, you know the condition it's in. Sure. You know what's been done to it. You know the record's on it. That's right. It needs a major repair. You weigh it out. Okay, I can spend this much. I can drive this car another two, three years because I know everything else is good on it. But when you're buying another car... That one you, you have no idea about, on. correct? You're really not quite so sure because, and I'm not going to beat up on this particular car, but let's just say we buy a car and the motor's out in it, uh huh, and we buy it at a really good price, right? Enough to put a motor in, plus still be okay, right? All right, we put a motor in it, we start driving it. Well, then we figure out, okay, well, the air conditioner doesn't work either. Okay, well now we're into a compressor and a condenser and expansion about, valve. About so two thousand dollars worth of another two thousand. Well, right. then you drive a little bit and the check engine light pops up. Well, the catalytic converter's bad. Okay, well, now it's another $1,000. So it can get really expensive really quick, really quick when you're buying an unknown. And if the car is running and driving, then you can bring it to us. We can do a pre-purchase inspection for you, and we can tell you pretty much what's wrong with it. Sure. But if the car doesn't run, then there is no way to check the air conditioning. There is no way to check the catalytic converters. There's no, There's no way to transmission. check a lot of things. Right. Really, even the brakes, a lot of that you can't check. I mean, sure. you can physically check the lining. You can look at them, but as far as you really need to drive it to well, see how they are does working. Does the ABS work, system work? Is it going to set a code when the car starts driving? I mean, when a car doesn't drive, there are lots of little collateral problems you sure. might have. And then one that's been down for a while. That's another has, issue. You know, yeah. it's been sitting for a while, so now it has even more issues. Yeah, if it's been sitting for quite a while, it may have picked up collateral issues there because the shocks have all been sitting in one position for a long period of time. Possibly some rodents have gotten into it, chewed on some wire. Sure. Well, you're not going to know any of that. Right, until, until you, you get it get running. It up and going. Let's say it's been sitting for a long time with the coolant drained out of it and air has gotten into the cooling system and corroded everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now at very least, you probably have a stuck thermostat. You may have a radiator that's corroded out. Right. So on and on it goes. I guess the point is your own car, the car that you've got that you've been driving every day, you know that car's been driven, you know the condition it's in, and everything with that car is okay except what's wrong. The problem, right. So when you fix that, I just think you've got a much better deal than going out and buying an unknown. Sure. And trying to fix that. Most definitely. You see that a lot. And another thing that we, I guess a trend uh, Uh we're starting to notice now, a lot of folks, I guess baby boomers, are entering the retirement age. 
a lot of them are coming into some money, retirement money, or just extra money they've saved. And they've done without a lot of their life paying off things, kids, schools, and all that. And now they want that car, that hot rod they never had. Right. And I've seen a lot, a lot of folks go out, and there's people who are popping up here, there, and yonder that will actually build a hot rod for you. And they sell them for a pretty hefty little price. But what you got to remember, when you're buying, let's say you buy a 55 Chevrolet. Okay. All right, you're getting a 60-year-old car. That car was not that dependable 60 it's years 60, ago. Exactly. It's a mechanical device. It's not an electronic device like we got today. It's not a car that you get in and drive 100,000 miles. Right. You don't get in and just turn the key and it cranks up. No. You're driving a carburetor now. That's right. So and there's a big difference between carburetor and fuel injection as the way it runs, the way it operates. The way it's going to hold up. Exactly. And if you have the wherewithal to work on it yourself. You have, have a place. You have a place. You have the tools. You have the knowledge. And you enjoy doing it. Sure. Well, that's really kind of cool. It's a hobby to you. Hey, I like tinkering. I like doing that. But right. This is a third car. You're not depending on right. it. You take it out on a weekend when it's running right. Mm-hmm. And you, with that understanding, yeah, it's probably it's great. okay. Now, you got to remember, that car is probably going to need some kind of service about every two or three months. It's going to sure. need something. It's going to need points. It's going to need plugs. It's going to need the wheel bearings pack. It needs the brakes adjusted. It needs uh, things. People forgot about well, all the maintenance that came with that car when it was new. That's right. And like I said, if you can do that yourself and you enjoy doing it, that's great. If you can afford to pay someone to do it, that's even that's better. Great. Right. Also, but you got to know you're not going to just get in this car and just take off, turn the key, and go like you do with a new car. Correct. Another real, real big concern is a new car has been engineered by teams of engineers who cooperate, collaborate, and test all the components on this car. And even they have problems. Sure. I mean, you, you just see, look at your te- look at your bulletins right. and your recalls every right. day of the week. And that is stuff that has been so thoroughly tested, it's hard to even believe. And this is built by a big company. Right. Like you were saying, collaborating together, making sure everything works together. With all the stuff to do it and 75 to 100 years experience doing that. Sure. Now, you get a guy who has a big garage who throws together a hot rod. He's generally going to put most of the money in the stuff that shows because that's what sells a car. He's paint. got a nice paint job. Right. He's going to do pretty nice interior work on it. Even a clean-looking engine right. compartment. Nice and clean engine. But are all the parts on that engine of a high-quality standard, are they all compatible one with another? Have they been tested to run that way? He picked a cam. He picked an intake. He picked a carburetor. He picked a distributor. He picked a lot of components and threw them together. Correct. They may work together. They may not. It, well, it's only as strong as the weakest part. That's right. It's the quality of the build, and that's very, very hard to determine. It is. So you, you end up with something that maybe is not quite as much fun as you thought it was going to be. I'm not saying don't do it. If that's what you want, you always wanted one, you got the money, hey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do it. Get you one, because I've owned many, many, many of them in my life. I've got a huge shop, plenty of people working for me, all the knowledge, all the tools to work on it, and I don't have one of those cars. <laughs> Reason being, I know what it takes to keep it going. That's it. That's hey, it. we're going to take a quick little break, but we're going to be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I get your kicks on Route 66. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, My car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. 
And if you keep your car, bring it into ACO for regular maintenance, and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. He's joining us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alsan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we got Herb's been patiently holding. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. I got a question that moves out of your line a little bit. Okay. I got a generator with four motor mounts on it. You yes, know the mount, uh-huh. yeah, and it's got two pieces of steel, one bolt to the frame, one bolt to the engine, and it's got a rubber donut in between. Sure. Uh-huh. And it's not rotten or anything, but the glue between that holds the rubber to the metal, it's, it's been jarred around too much, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea of any kind of glue that they might have used or could re-glue that with? Boy, that's going to be really, really tough yeah. to try to re-glue it. You could try some of the epoxies, might hold, but most likely what's happening, Herb, is mm-hmm. that the glue didn't actually break. The rubber is starting to deteriorate just a bit. And so where it's attached to the rubber, that little layer of rubber comes off. Well, it's clean. It, you know, it, it doesn't, the rubber is not deteriorated. Yeah. Don't tell you. It's not a very old generator. Really? It's just, well, like you, it's just been roughhoused. Yeah, you, know? you could try some epoxies. I mean, some of them might hold that, but I don't know of anything that's really going to do a good job on it. Did you price the replacement mounts? Are they expensive? Yeah, about $39. To 40, yeah. <laughs> well, it's worth a shot. Try to glue them. I mean, worth, yeah, you worth, worth lose. case. Yeah, they broke anyway. Yeah. I mean, does the bolt go through them and holds them together? No, there's no bolt through the center. Yeah. It's strictly glue, rubber, and glue, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what we've done with engine mounts, well, that I've done with an engine mount, is actually the torque side, which is the driver's side. Well, I kept breaking one. So I actually took and drilled a hole through it, mm-hmm. tapped the plate on the other side, and put a bolt in it. Okay, it's and still- it still gives some, and I get that right. Yeah, it is still, still sit the there on the rubber, but you know, on an engine, when an engine torques up, it locks the bolt and locks the two pieces of steel plate together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and therefore it doesn't stretch the rubber mount. But sitting there idling, it sits on the rubber and just does its job. Mm-hmm. I've done that before on an engine. I don't know if that would work on that generator or well, not. Do you tighten the bolt tighter? No, or maybe lock double nut it where it won't. No, keep it a little bit loose. Just leave it. Leave the head sticking up about maybe put like a sleeve or something on it where you could tighten yeah. it down against the sleeve where it wouldn't. Oh, you could okay. do that. Yeah. That'd be good. Piece a piece of pipe sleeve. On there. Yeah, a little yeah. Piece of pipe or something. And that way it'll, it'll lock down against that, but it leaves a little space on the rubber. Okay, I've always it's always good to get everybody's opinion <laughs> and the, put them all together and figure what's. Oh there. yeah, I'll right. probably try the epoxy first and see if that didn't work. Yeah. They, they got oh. some pretty good stuff out, and if just make sure you find something that's suitable for rubber, rubber and steel. Yeah, nothing yeah, comes to my mind right off, but I'm sure nah. there's probably an adhesive made for that. If you, if you can find people, somebody knowledgeable. Yeah, them people that built it didn't pick the right kind. Yeah, <laughs> apparently not. Huh? Yeah. yeah. All righty. Thank y'all for your effort there. Okay. All right, Colin. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automobile, we would absolutely love to have you. A lot of that stuff's actually vulcanized. It together. is. What they do is they heat it and they kind of melt it together. And if you get a good vulcanization, it will It'll hold. Stay. I mean, you'll pretty much rip the rubber in half before you'll tear it apart. But if the process doesn't go well, let's say the metal had just a little film of something on it, or maybe it wasn't hot enough, or it wasn't cold enough, or it was too right. hot or too cold, or whatever, it just didn't vulcanize properly. And 
I don't know if any adhesive is going to be able to hold that. It may. Well, it's a generator. I mean, there's not that much torque. It's just it's vibration. Critical, yeah. Right. It's just a vibration. Mm-hmm. So it's not like an engine in an automobile. There's no really? torque on it. Torquing up and down. Right. That's sort of foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably actually fabricate a motor mount of some sort yourself even. Probably. For, for lower Less than 40 bucks a piece, I'm sure. Right. Come up or, with something. Yeah, even maybe find an automotive mount that was pretty similar. Some of those automotive mounts are relatively inexpensive. You'd have to look at it and see what kind of car it might be near the same as. Right. And some of those you can buy for 10 bucks a piece, old-style motor mount. Uh-huh. I, nothing comes with no, because the generator is usually a square pad type mount, and it's mm-hmm. usually about two or three inches in square and a stud on each side. I mean, right. it's not anything that I would... It would have to be a small car, small engine, well, similar, something real small. Similar to an old small block Chevy motor mount. In, in like design. three-sided mount, you'd have to redrill the three holes, and it had the one hole in the center. Uh-huh. You could buy use something like that. I know you can buy those pretty cheap. Right. Probably in the $10, 12 $15 range. Something yeah, like that. It'd be worth a shot to look. Yeah, if you just couldn't do anything else. Right. Might be a way to go. So, hey, 291-6901 is the number. We'd be glad to have you give us a question and try to stump us again there you go (laughs) (laughs) you had a fellow who emailed earlier this week and he was saying how he has kind of adopted some of the things that we tell him Uh uh, as far as changing his power steering fluid so he never had thought about that before right and changing his battery before it goes bad those sorts of things and he was just wondering says are there other things that i could change proactively on my car that might prevent a problem. So I really enjoy those types of tips. Okay. And there are some things, but again, there are some things you want to be careful with because what you have on the car sometimes is better than the replacement part you can get. Definitely. So I don't just go and start changing. Like, for instance, I wouldn't just go change a starter on a maybe because the starter that came with your car may be better than the replacement starter you buy even if you buy it from the manufacturer sure because the starter you get with the vehicle well it was probably made in cleveland is not the, the same one you quality. get now is made in beijing so right it's not the same may quality not be nearly as good a starter as what you're taking off and some starters do last the life of the car sure other things do wear out and it is wise to proactively change them one that comes to mind is a belt tensioner Okay. Generally, about 100,000 miles, a belt tensioner is weak. It's not going to totally fail right then, but it is not really doing its job. And what happens is it may allow that belt to slip just enough. You can't really hear it, but it slips enough to generate a lot of heat. That heat goes into the air conditioning compressor and burns up the compressor clutch. So to save a $40, $50 belt tensioner, what you do is you end up spending $1,000 on an AC compressor. Right. Because the clutch burned up. And the belts wore out anyway. And the belts wore out, so you could change the belt. But at 100,000 miles, that belt tensioner is pretty well gone. Sure. Sure. All it is is a big spring. A spring with a pivot point is going to wear out. I remember we've said this before, but we were at a trade show talking to an engineer who designs these things. He says in 100,000 miles, that tensioner goes through one billion cycles. Yeah. Billion with a B. That's right. That's a lot of movement from yes, any component. And it is a relatively inexpensive part. It's an easy part to change, and it prevents a lot of problems. On a lot of vehicles, it's an easy part to change. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some that it's buried behind a water pump or something like that nature. Yeah, but that's but that's Yeah, it is. Now, another component that you might just consider is the radiator. Because radiators have a life, uh-huh. especially any of the modern ones. I mean, if you got a 55 Chevrolet with a copper radiator, it's going to probably last forever. But most cars have a plastic and aluminum radiator. 
that is generally going to last somewhere around 10 years. Right. That's, and that's the norm. That tank is going to start cracking. And what it's going to do is on probably the hottest day of the year, it's going to split wide open and your car is going to overheat and you have to have the car towed. Well, if you're lucky, you'll see it dripping on the ground. Maybe. But may, that, that is a strict maybe. Or see your gauge start to rise up. You can inspect it at very least and get like a magnifying glass where you can look really close to that plastic tank. And if you're starting to see little cracks in it, look what we call crazing. Uh-huh. And that's where the plastic's starting to crack and all. Let's go ahead and just change that out before it fails. Sure. Now, the advantage there is, obviously, you've prevented a breakdown. Right. You may have prevented an overheat, which could have done a lot of damage to your car. But now you've done it also at your convenience. And you can pick who you want to do it. If you want to do it yourself, you can pick a convenient weekend to do it. If you want to have it done, you can pick the shop to have it done. You can make an appointment well in advance where you can get in there and get it like Uh you want. You're not under the gun to get the car fixed. Right. And it's one of those parts that is just going to fail. It's it's kind of like a hard drive on a computer. It's not a matter of if it will fail. It's It's a matter of when when it's going to fail. Exactly. But that is one of those things that doesn't cost that much to replace and it saves a whole lot we got an article on the website come on this morning okay. about the nissan pathfinder and the xterra right from 2005 to 2010 now they had a flaw in those radiators and what it did the transmission cooler would rupture on it and allow coolant to enter the transmission and then once coolant enters the transmission it pretty much wipes it out it is gone it's done right and so you would definitely want to proactively change those. I would probably change that one somewhere around six or seven years or as soon as I possibly could. Exactly. Because if it busts, you're not going to get a symptom. The first no, it's symptom, not going to leak out on the ground or anything no, like that. You're not going to notice it's occurring at all. You might just pull the cap off, and then if you see oil on the cap, it's probably too late. Sure. So the problem is by the time you start seeing the symptoms, it's really too late. Damage is already occurring. So it's one of those you want to do proactively. And there's a lot of other things that you can do that way, too. We're going to take a few of these phone calls, and we'll talk some more about All right. proactively changing parts that give trouble. we got Bob online. Good morning, Bob. morning, Lewis and Brian. Good morning. So you were talking about generators. Uh-huh. So I thought I'd ask a question about how you go out. This is becoming hurricane season coming up. That's right. So you go out and you buy a generator. What kind of maintenance and how preparation do you need to do in order to make sure that it's going to run when you need it? Well, on that generator, Bob, you have a, a break-in period. I don't remember right offhand. Four or five hours. Something like that. You have a break-in period. You need to change the oil in it. Now, most people don't think about that till the power's out and it's run for three days. So that's something you got to think about. When you first get it, you want to first first let it, it run. And after it's broken, go ahead and drain the oil out, replace the oil. The biggest thing, Bob, that we see problems with generators, the small generators at least, is that folks buy a couple of cans of gas and they sit them there. Now, you got to remember, the shelf life on gas that contains ethanol is about 90 days. And if you put something like Stabil in it, it will help to extend that life, but it's still not going to push it out much beyond that. So you got to rotate your gas stock out. And when that gas starts getting about two months old, three months old, go ahead and pour it into your pickup or your car or whatever and get rid of it, and then go get fresh gas for your generator. Because if you let it sit there and it separates and you pour it in that generator, it's going to probably either not run or it's going to cause you some issues. And not only that, most people will go ahead and fill the generator up. So now you have seven or eight gallons sitting there on top of the generator that will do that also. So what I like to do is when I run my generator, I like to take it out once a month, check the oil in it. If the oil's good, crank it up and let it run for, say, an hour. Just let it sit out there in the driveway and run it. That's what it's made to do. 
when I go to turn it off, instead of turning the kill button off, I will actually shut the fuel supply down and let it sit there and run till the carburetor runs out of gas. That way there's no old fuel sitting in the carburetor bowl till the next month when you crank it up again. Mm -hmm. Generators should be brought out and cranked up at least once a month. I have a hard time remembering to do it myself, so Mm -hmm. I know it, it goes more than a month. The big ones that are wired into your house will generally have a run cycle on. They'll automatically they'll come crank on. up and run, so they'll, they'll run a lot of that week. for you. And what's better, a lot of those run on natural gas, so you don't have the problems with the fuel going bad and separating and all that. And right now they have a tri-fuel kit, actually, that will allow you to tap into your house gas supply and run your generator that way instead of running on gasoline. Mm-hmm. All righty. Yeah, that pretty well covers it. You, what kind of oil does it usually use? It comes with instructions, I guess. They come they with do. instructions. Normally, it's going to be a That's 10W30 and 30 weight. Yeah, some kind of 30 weight, either 10, 30, 5, 30. Just read your book that comes with it. The manufacturer will tell you what you need. And they'll usually have a supply of oil with their name and stuff on it. Right. You just want a good grade of oil. And it's not a bad idea to change it all at least once a year. All right. Well, thank you. All, all right. right. Thanks, Bob. Hey, we got to take a quick little break, but we're going to be right back with more. Mary, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the Norris Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tween Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901, and we would love to hear from you. And we've got Mary's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I have a problem with the alarm system on my car. Okay. What kind of car, Mary? It's a 2006 Lincoln LS. Okay. And I took it to the dealer, mm-hmm. and they kept it three days. They said they can't do anything because it didn't go off when they had it. Okay. And instead, it just goes off at random. Hmm. I don't know what to do. It's well, just the- sitting there, and it just goes off? Yep, just no, sitting there. No Nobody's touching it, nothing. Yeah, most of the time, what we find on that, Mary, is one of the door entry switches, and there's, it's got a little sensor in each door that tells it when the door is closed. Uh-huh. And those will start to go bad, and they don't fail completely. They just get kind of flaky. And so what happens if it thinks that that door is being open? Let's say the switch breaks continuity for a split second. Yeah. Then it's going to arm the alarm because it thinks someone's opening the door and it hadn't been unlocked. You know, it, it watches the lock, and when the door unlocks, it turns the alarm off. Yeah. But if it looks at this switch and it says, hey, the door's being opened because it's lost continuity, because it doesn't know what happens is that when the door opens, it breaks the contact on the switch. But if, let's say, the switch just goes to open condition, 
you know, and anything might bring that on. Humidity might go up or the temperature might go up or a truck might pass on the road or the wind might blow or whatever. It's sitting right on the edge. And anything that calls do, then it'll go ahead and throw the alarm on. That's not the only thing that could cause that. But I got to say, that's the most common thing we see. Well, you know, you're probably right because the the little digital thing comes on and it says passenger door is ajar. Oh, well, there, okay, you well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's right. almost. That's when you're just driving along normal. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that would definitely be the problem because see, if it's thinking the door is opening when it's not. It's not. Yeah. You're going down the road. It's just going to throw the light on and say, hey, the door's ajar. But if the alarm is armed and no one's unlocked the car and it sees that same signal, it's going to say, hey, somebody's stealing this car. So it's going to kick the alarm off. Oh. So, yeah, I would start with that passenger door switch. And what now, they're going to need to do is just get in, and they're going to probably have to do some shaking and some tapping. And you know, they have to do a little bit of detective work. They can't just look at it and say it doesn't, it, you know, it's not malfunctioning. But they really, if that door jar light is coming on it may even be a code stored in memory but you'll yeah. have to have a ford scan tool to get into the body computer right to, to see read that it. but yeah that is it a two-door or a four-door car four four-door car okay and saying past your side so it could either be the front or the rear door but again you got a pretty good shot most of the time what we can do is take door panel off get and just kind of tap on the switch and if it's kind of flaky it'll gen- you can generally duplicate it now that yeah. switch if i'm not mistaken is part of the latch assembly isn't it, it on the floor some of them it is some of them it isn't some you can get just a little switch which is fairly inexpensive some you do have to buy a door latch to get but again it's not, it's not like thousands of dollars or anything it, it might be a couple of hundred dollars if you oh. got to buy a latch and it could be less if you can get just a switch well will this eventually well i'm a, y'all are good you helped me once before uh-huh. with another problem a few years ago will this eventually my engine fail or? it won't make your engine yeah. fail but it could cause the car not to start you know oh, if, if it thinks the car is being stolen it's gonna shut down oh okay. and, and it's gonna shut the fuel system down so the car is just gonna crank and not start because it thinks it's being stolen well if i if i bring it in how long does it take to to do that i mean well, probably within a day you, you should be able to do it. I mean, if it's something that's real intermittent, it might take a little longer because I would like to duplicate it to see exactly what it is doing. So, I mean, I would probably plan on leaving it at least one day. And yeah. if you can duplicate the problem, you could find it really easy. If okay. you can't duplicate it, it's going to take a little more time to find out what it's doing because you don't want to go in and do something that's wrong because you, you haven't made your situation any better and you spent some money. Now, you can do a little detective work yourself, right? Oh, I can? Yes, ma'am. As you're driving the vehicle, notice when the light comes on. Notice the conditions around the vehicle. Did mm-hmm. you hit a bump? Did you make a turn? Things like oh. that. Yeah, anything and Anything like that you can help. do to help the technician recreate the problem Okay. would be even better. More information, the better. Right. And one other thing, if you got the key on, just kind of walk around and shake the doors and see if you can duplicate the light coming on. Okay. Because if you just grab the passenger front door and kind of don't open it, but just kind of pull on it a little bit and the light comes on and you do the back door and it doesn't come on, then you know the problem's in the front door. Right. Oh, okay. And you can tell the technician or the service writer or whoever you're speaking with. Right. When I do this, this happens. And, and that, that way, way it can be recreated in the shop. That saves you a lot of money sure. because he doesn't have to sit there and do it. You're doing some of the work yourself. Yeah. Oh, well, I can do all that then. There you go. There yeah, but I, I don't want to be left stranded. That's no, what I'm no. And, it, and it, it could because, you know, when the alarm is going off, the car is not going to start. And yeah. it will reset in time. But in that moment, let's say you need to get be somewhere, somewhere right. be somewhere, and the alarm goes off, it's not going to start. Yeah, because right now i got to leave the car unlocked at night so yeah, the alarm doesn't go which off. Which is not good either. No. All righty. <laughs> oh, thank you so very much. All right, You're man. welcome. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
I-291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. And we got Dave online. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. How you doing, Russ? Doing great. Look, I got a 98 Lincoln Challenge car. Uh-huh. And the speedometer works when they want to mm-hmm. at random. Yes, sir. And sometimes it'll be, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Well, um, let, me, let me ask you this. When it quits working, have you noticed if the odometer still works? No. Pay attention to that next time it happens, because if the speedometer drops, say, to zero, and the odometer keeps counting miles, well, that tells you the sensor and all that's good. That means the speedometer head itself is going bad. Now, let's say the speedometer and the odometer both go out at the same time, and maybe you try to cruise control, it won't arm, and maybe even the ABS light or something pops on. Okay, well, now it's probably going to be the sensor or the wiring to the sensor. So that would be an easy way to, without any kind of equipment or anything, to determine what's going on. If it's in the speedometer head itself, sometimes we can pull those out, resolder all the joints on them, and they'll actually start working again. Sometimes you do have to replace the head. I've seen that problem more than once on that car. I changed the uh, control on transmission, mm-hmm. and there's some people have told me that there's more than one. There is. There are. Uh-huh. So you may have changed the turbine sensor, which is just reading the speed of the torque converter. The one... But I'd have to look up where it's at. And some of them have multiple sensors they're reading off of. So just changing parts, you ain't going to hit it. You're going to have to do some detective work or bring it to somebody who knows how to check it. I mean, you, uh-huh. you're going you to get tired of changing parts before you find the problem, I can tell you. Yeah. All righty? Okay. All right, man. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And we're going back to the lines with Ivan. Good morning, Ivan. Hey, good morning. Just good morning. one quick question. Yes, sir. Do you guys work on Volvos? No, sir. We don't work on any European cars. We do okay, thanks. Asian and domestic only. All right. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of times we do get calls that say, well, why don't you work on European cars? Uh-huh. Because European cars require a totally different technology. It's a totally different set of tools. It's different information. It's everything is different, including the training. Right. And to equip to do that, basically, in a you pot. You'd have to double your shop. Yeah, in a modern shop, you're going to spend anywhere from about fifteen to $50,000 for every different car you're going to work on. Uh-huh. That means if you can work on Toyotas, you're going to spend about fifty grand for the tooling. If you can work on General Motors products, you're going to spend another fifty grand. If you're going to put Ford in there, you can work another fifty. Chrysler, another fifty. Nissan, another fifty. Uh-huh. And on and on it goes. And that's not a one-time expense. No, because no, that's you a have reoccurring to, expense. Right. You have to keep updating all this information. And so shops have to more or less decide which cars there are more of in their market, which cars they can serve. Uh-huh. You could theoretically have a shop that could work on everything. You could. But, but you probably cost. couldn't afford to go there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they got to recoup that money. And there's just not enough European cars in the city of Baton Rouge to justify another big shop coming in there are several people who do work only on european cars correct in other words you may work on volvos and volswagens that might be your special right and you've got or everything to work on those too or you mercedes might work on mercedes and bmw, and BMW or correct. whatever the combination there may even be a large shop that works on all european cars uh-huh. much like we work on domestic and asian cars right but it's not really practical for most shops it's not like in the old days where you could pretty much work on everything that comes in like you said back in the day you had one set of brake shoes that fit ford chevrolet and and chrysler all at the same time you know a half inch and nine sixteenths box and you pretty much take any car apart that's it but again nowadays the cost of servicing the cars just makes it prohibitive and so you have to limit the number of cars you work on and if you're going to be good it's really hard to keep people trained on cars that they don't see a lot exactly so just the training costs escalates to a 
basically a huge, huge number. Hey, we've got to take one last quick little break, but we're going to be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesant, president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian, here right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. Still got plenty of time. We'll be glad to get you an answer. That's right. And we happen to have a, a few emails here from people. People around the country. Future customers. How about Future that? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to be on the air or just had a quick question. I got a gentleman here from Ohio. Miss Laura from Ohio has a Toyota Camry, fairly new Camry, a 12, and was wanting to know about a transmission service on it. Right. He was being told by the dealer that that transmission is sealed and cannot be serviced, uh-huh. which is absolutely false. That there's no such thing as a sealed transmission per se. Right. Some transmissions do not have a filter that you can readily get. To. An external filter. Right. The filter is inside the case, like a Honda, a lot of your Honda products, that right. some of your Ford products. This particular transmission has a pan, it has a filter, and it has fluid that can be replaced. It does not have a dipstick. Right. And so they... I guess don't want to go to the trouble of doing a service because it does take some time. It is time-consuming. Take some special tooling and stuff. You have to let it warm up completely before you can check the fluid level and all. So what they told us, well, this is sealed. It doesn't have to be serviced. And according to their maintenance records, it doesn't have to be serviced until after 100,000 miles. Right, 100,000 miles. Which is their recommended service, well, not something I would I wouldn't say recommend to. that because what happens is that if that filter does restrict – then you're going to burn up a $4,000 transmission instead of a less than $200 transmission service. Exactly. So about every 50,000 miles, you want to do a service. And even when you go to the parts department, these guys have got this pattern down. Oh, well, that doesn't have a filter. It's uh-huh. got a screen. No, it doesn't. That's just semantics. It's a different name. Yeah, it's a different name for the same thing. It is a filter. Go ahead and order right. one. I need Look one. at <laughs> it. Yeah, I really don't want your opinion. I just want the part. Right. And... You, what you'll find is, and I've even heard them say, oh, you can clean it. You can't no. clean it. It's a sealed-up filter. So filters, by definition, are sacrificial elements. Correct. What a filter does is it destroys itself to protect something else, whether it's a fuel filter or a cabin filter, an air filter, or a transmission filter. By doing its job, it is going to sacrifice it is a itself. It's consumable. It's going to destroy itself to protect something way more expensive. That's exactly. why we have filters. 
So to say, well, it's a permanent filter, that's a contradiction term. This is a permanent <laughs> filter. So, yes, those transmissions do need to be serviced. They are more difficult to service because they don't have a dipstick on them. They have a special fluid that goes in them. Special fluid that goes in them, special procedure for servicing them. And if you go on my website and type in Toyota Transmission, it uh-huh. will go through the entire procedure and tell you how to do it if you do care to do it yourself. Right. Show you how it's done and all that. But, yes, they do need to be serviced. So don't fall for that rhetoric about well it's sealed, it's sealed unit yeah yeah or it doesn't need service right what else you got there obi-wan well, let's see <laughs> got a gentleman here from kentucky mm-hmm. has a vibration in the front of his truck okay said he drives along about 70 miles an hour it shakes said he's had the tires balanced had alignment and everything else done to it and just can't seem to get rid of this vibration in the front right what we've come to find is just because you balance a tire doesn't make it round. That's correct. And a round, a tire that is not round is going to bounce. Well, round and balance are two totally different things. I can balance a Coke machine. Correct. I can balance a egg. I can balance almost anything. It's just not going to roll smoothly down the road. It's not going to roll down the road, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We can balance a Pentagon. It's just not going to roll. Uh-huh. It has to be round and balanced. Those correct. are two different things. So. A vibration at that speed is very often either going to be a out-of-round tire, a tire that's maybe starting to separate. Uh-huh. It could also be a tire that was not put on the rim correctly. If it wasn't mounted correctly, it's not seated on that rim, it may not be round. Right, because if it, it's a round unit. The, the rim is round mm-hmm. or should be round. Now, we have seen bent rims well, a bent cause a tire. Well, a bent another possibility as well as a bent wheel hub or flange. Right. And also a bent axle flange on drive wheels. Right. So anything that is out of round or causes it to wobble or shake or hop up and down. I can remember way back, I think this was back in the 1980s when the S10s had first come out. Uh-huh. We actually had one that had a real wicked vibration that absolutely nobody could find, and they ended up sending it to us. I put a dial indicator on the lug studs, and the lug studs had actually been drilled off center on really yeah wasn't a huge amount but it was certainly i think it was about fifty thousandths of an inch off center and they were all the same amount like the tool had either slipped or the hub had slipped in the machine or whatever right and the whole i mean it had a really nasty vibration because the tire was hopping up and down and you Mm -hmm. could see it hopping up and down they had changed the tire they had changed the wheel and it still had the vibration wow we ended up replacing the brake rotor which was the part that studs were in Uh and fixed the problem but you can't really rule anything out. What my advice would be in this particular case is first to rotate the tires front to rear and see if the vibration changes. Now, the key word here is changes because right. it may not go away. The reasons it may not go away is, number one, it's still going to shake on the back. It's just going to shake a different way. It's going to shake the back instead of the front. Uh-huh. Number two, you could have two bad tires. It's very possible. Or we two see bad that. wheels or who knows what. So. You want to first do that because if the vibration changes, at least you know you're in the right area. Well, when you jack it up, go ahead and just take and spin the wheel if right. you can and see if it's round. Right. Check the rim. It's, it's real it. easy to see if a rim is bent. All you got to do is look at it while it's rolling, mm-hmm. and you can see that it's bent. Yeah, 30 thousandths of an inch will cause a pretty good vibration. Yes, it will. And you can see 30 thousandths of an inch with your eye. We're going to go back to the phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. I hate to bother you again, but I kind of what Brian said a while ago. I got a 88 model generator that's keeping my shop. I got it out the other day, and what I do when I, I drain, the, I run, crank it and get it hot, yes, and sir. I drain the fuel, mm-hmm. and I crank it again until it goes dead. Uh-huh. Right, let it run and the gas out. I, just like putting it back in the box is what I say. There and you go. It's from I got it out the other day, and I 
slow rolled it about three times, uh-huh. and I turned the choke on and the switch on and cranked first pull. That's wow. it. Yeah, and that's it, from 1988, and it's still working. 1988, and it works just as good wow. as ever did. Yep. Yeah, because I see people who have them three, four, five years old, and they aren't running anymore. Yeah, they, they consider them throwaways, I guess, because they're cheaper to get buy nothing than it is to fix it. Yeah, so I, well, and that old fuel will really, really... Oh, it will. Uh, It'll tear up the fuel up, system. Especially that ethanol fuel. Yeah. It'll eat that carburetor up. Yep. But I like to buy stuff and never buy another one of them. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's kind of a day gone by type thinking, man. <laughs> yeah. My mom was raised during the Depression, so she grew right. in my head. There you go. Oh, look, myself. <laughs> okay. All right, Thank y'all. Thanks for calling, man. Thank Bye. you. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you can call real quick, we probably sneak another one in there. Maybe. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> yeah, we're getting pretty close. Funny, he's talking about his mom was from a depression. Yeah. That's my mom as well. And I can remember her asking me to bring the sandwich bags home that I brought my lunch to school in because we could fold those up and use them again. There you go. Yeah, you didn't throw anything away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, I'm still using tools that my grandfather owned. Oh, yeah. I've got tools that I bought when I was a teenager, uh-huh. and you know, I'm 63 years old, and I still got them, but these were high-quality tools. They were. Some of them were Snap-on, some of them were Matco or whatever, but they still work just fine. That's it. And you know, I can use those, and a whole lot cheaper to do that, go ahead and pay that extra money, get a good one to start with, than to keep on buying more and more and more. Oh, yeah, that cheap junk is junk. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it'll, junk is junk. it'll get you in trouble quick. <laughs> That's it. Hey, we're going to back on out of here. We're going to send a big old thank you out there to all the folks who are listening and called in this morning. There you go. And I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to those great pod stations, iTunes and Stitcher and things like that. Give us a written rating and that'll move us up so more folks can hear us. And we're proceeding with opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.